Oh, if you guys got your Bibles with you, I want to I want to invite you to open up to the book of Job as we continue taking a look at uh, God's champion, a man that God set aside or set apart from all other men uh, at the time. In fact, God said there's nobody else like him. And uh, one of the exciting things as we look and as we study and as we go through, we're, we're going to come to our first of three discourses. <clears throat> which is when Job's friends stopped doing what they did so well for seven days. So for seven days, Job's friends did good. They comforted. They didn't offer answers. And uh, during those seven days as they waited, um, Job uh, um, responds. He, he, I don't know, lets out the grief. Now, I don't want to say things like... Uh, he vents because we think we don't think the same thing. Our venting doesn't sound like Job's. So, so when Job is sharing his heart in chapter 3, there, there are several things that set it apart. But one thing that sets it apart is that he doesn't blame God. And he never once thinks that it comes from someone else's hand other than God. Now you think about those two things, that's kind of an amazing attitude to have right remember in, in chapter one when he lost everything his children <coughs> his his uh wealth and all that he had he said the lord gives and the lord takes away so who did job know or understand was responsible for all that stuff going including his children never once in the entire book are you going to hear job say that what happened to him was it from the hands of God? And never once through the whole book are you going to hear Job blame God for what happened. You're going to hear Job ask God, I don't understand why. Now, lots of us have been there before, right? You ever been in a circumstance where you say, Lord, I don't understand why this is happening? That's okay. That's, that's not a problem. The Lord said, and through all this, Job did not sin with his lips, right? So it wasn't a problem of, of expressing his his heart and his emotion but in that in that expression in that pouring out of his heart we understand that he had a um a limited perspective he couldn't see all the stuff that god was doing he doesn't know the end of the story and he had all this emotion in him He, he lets it out but when he lets it out he lets it out in such a way that he is honoring god not dishonoring him and that, I think, is one of the things that really sets Job apart. But after Job shares that in chapter 3, after Job shares that, we see him, his uh, oldest friend, who's there with him around the circle, is going to begin to try to comfort him. I honestly think that's the heart of his friends, to try to comfort him. But, but as we look at it, <clears throat> and as we study it, we're, we're going to see that Job's friend had a very different outlook on what moves God. And the God that, that, uh, that we see when we, when we look at Eliphaz is a God who is constantly having to react to what people do. It's not a God who is ultimately in control, but it's rather a God like a judge who's sitting up in heaven with a big hammer. And when someone messes up, he thumps them on the head. And when someone does good... Then, then he blesses. Now, please understand, this is the challenge. When we go through the book of Job, 
that doesn't line up with reality. And I'm going to challenge us tonight. I, uh, when we go, we're going to take a look at, at Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. We all know it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. I have a tendency to just quote that part. But the scripture goes on to define the kind of sowing and reaping that, that Paul's talking about in Galatians. It says, if you sow to the flesh, you will love the flesh, reap corruption. That means death and destruction. If you sow to the spirit, that means sowing into eternal life. That's a, that's a life uh, submitted to God. Justified, sanctified, glorified, saved. But a lot of times we... we talk about things like that and we say well you know it's a it's a spiritual law whatever you sow you will reap there's just a couple of small problems with that that's not what david saw david didn't see that sowing and reaping like that i think when the lord's talking to us about sowing and reaping what he's talking to us about is if you sow to the flesh you're going to die in your sin and if you sow to the spirit then you're going to live eternally. That's a big difference. But but I don't know that we can take the law of sowing and reaping and say, if you always sow love, people are always going to love you. Right? Because God's word says different. Jesus, the Lord said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But he also said that that the world hates him. And if it hates him, it'll hate us. That's regardless, right, of... Of whether or not we're, not that I'm suggesting we don't so love, but you get what I'm, what I'm meaning. When we start to look at where the rubber meets the road, we really need to check our, our doctrines and say, when we have, because we start sounding like Job's friends. Right? Job's friend, Joe, Eliphaz is going to tell Job, if you do good, God's going to bless you. And if you, and if you don't do good, God's going to hammer you. I mean, that's a short version of two chapters we're going to look at. So, but in that we can start to look like that in in our attempt to comfort people in the midst of incredible suffering and i hope i'm not i'm hope i'm not going to be like that i hope that i always try to stick with uh, mourn with those who are mourning and i don't have answers right you know i don't know the why's job don't get any why answers you get to the end of the book god does not answer job's why but neither does Job ever, ever, ever stop trusting him. And when you start to put Job in the timeline, and how much of God's revealed uh, understanding was here, if we put him during the time of the patriarchs, somewhere between Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those guys, we put him in the time of the patriarchs, then, you know, you have uh, Genesis. You don't have a temple, sacrificial system, the concept of, of all of those things. Now, we know from chapter 4 of Genesis, right, we were introduced to the first capital crime that takes place on the world when Cain kills his brother Abel. And what were those two guys doing? They were offering sacrifices that, as far as we know, we have no record of what the requirements were of those sacrifices. But we know, <coughs> we know that Abel offered his sacrifice by faith and Cain offered his sacrifice by works. We assume it was Cain's work in the field and it was Abel bringing a, a lamb that was slain 
that would certainly fit with the picture, right? We can't guarantee it, but that would seem like that fits in the concept. But where'd they learn that? Who told them? Absolutely, God told them. Where did, who, we, we come to the beginning. I just don't want you to lose the concept of the whole story and where we're at. You see, it wasn't all the way to Romans when Paul starts talking about justification and sanctification and all these crazy big concepts and words that people began to understand about redemption. It was in Genesis chapter 4, way back with Adam and Eve, teaching their kids, hey, kids, this is what God did for us when we sinned. Because we know God clothed them with animal skins. There's only one way to get those animal skins. Only one way. So, so Christ had to teach them. And they taught their sons. And I believe the sons went to the, the gate of the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden wasn't gone at that point. It was, there was an angel, <coughs> a cherubim, guarding the entrance, right? I'd be, I'd be tempted to say two, but I, I could never prove it. But the word cherubim is plural. <laughs> Cherub is singular. Cherubim is plural. But the reason I say I think it fits the picture when we come to the tabernacle and the, and the Ark of the Covenant, how many angels were on the Ark of the Covenant? Two. And the sacrifice went in the middle. Now, picture the, the entrance into the Garden of Eden the, the people coming, because that's, that is a symbol of where God is. God was in the garden, right, with the people. They come and they offer their sacrifices there between the angels. And God meets them right there and says, Abel's good, Cain not so good. So all of that was already happening at Genesis 4. Now we're somewhere down near maybe the time frame of Genesis 15-ish. We could be before that. So So... The, the revealed understanding, the revelation of God up to this point is, is <coughs> somewhat less than our understanding. But what did we see Job doing in chapter 1 for his kids? Making sacrifices for his kids, right? Wanting to make sure his kids were covered. Wanting to make sure his, we know the kids got along. They cared and loved each other. They always were going to each other's place to eat. Job's making so Job had been a, a godly influence for his children, and and where did he learn to do that? There's only one place. So 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 God has got to be showing to them back then His grace. And what should have happened with Adam and Eve when they sinned? If Eliphaz's <clears throat> Excuse me. If Eliphaz's God is the real God, when they sin, hammer, bam, judgment done, wicked away, we start over again. But God, we see, responding with grace. Now, it's not that judgment didn't fall. Immediately dying, they died. They died spiritually and physically they began to die. And, but the, po- the point and the purpose of God's judgment was to bring about repentance. Because God wants relationship. Okay? So if we understand that part of God's overall plan has been revealed. And that's what Job, that's why Job is God's champion. Because he has a relationship with God. And he, he doesn't have all the answers to the mysteries of life. And he doesn't know everything. But he knows one thing. God is for me. God loves me. God is still in control. 
even while I sit on this ash heap and my body is falling apart and my wife is angry. I, I mean, I think part of the whole declaration of his wife saying curse God and die in chapter 2 is because she blames him. You must have done something wrong for our kids to have died like that. Because that wouldn't just happen otherwise. Only bad things only happen to bad people. I think she's blaming him. And, and her saying, curse God and die, is the same as saying, I wish you were dead. So, and then his seven friends around him, Job expresses his heart, but he doesn't blame God. And when we come to chapter 42, and we come to the end of the book of Job, God's going to say, that's why Job's righteous. Because he, he don't blame God. He, don't, he doesn't charge God with wrong. In chapter 1, he said, or in chapter 2, when his wife said, curse God and die, Job said, we accept good from the hand of the Lord. Shall we not accept bad? So never once did he say all these things that have happened with somebody else. The devil did it all and, and God's not a part of it. He knows God is in control. And so those are the, some of the things we, we want to be able to see when we look at Eliphaz and, and, and hopefully see that we don't have an Eliphaz-like attitude. Eliphaz